Now, we all have stories today about living in a world that seems to be intent on adhering to political correctness. Uh, The fear of accidentally or even on purpose saying the wrong thing or saying the right thing in the wrong way. But we live in a time where there is a ping-pong of effects. They keep going back and forth. It's like watching a tennis match or up close a ping-pong match where you keep going back and forth. And we start having words thrown around like Islamophobia and homophobia, being a sexist, being a racist, being a xenophobe, being anti-Semitic, being all of these words that people will throw and attribute them to others and, and, and do so because they hear them use a phrase or, or act in a way that gives them pause to, to slander them or to call them that. You, you see, we can't use some words because they may offend somebody. Even I was reading about uh, the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. They have even added the words politically incorrect to their listing of politically incorrect words. <laughs> to, to say that something is politically correct or uh, politically incorrect is what they refer to as a microaggression. A microaggression is... Uh, that you would belittle the value of evaluating language in this case and its impact on others. It's, it's not a deliberate and outright attack. It's chipping away at the value. They call it a microaggression. Now, we, we think about the things that, that get brought up as being politically incorrect or things we can't talk about or things we can't say, and, and we're told, no, you can't do this because it offends somebody else. But at the same time, we, we live in, in an environment where uh, we, we may not speak about something because it may offend somebody on this side, but we also may not speak out against, say, an artist who wants to put a depiction of Jesus on the cross in a container of urine. Done. It was done, and when Christians spoke out against it, uh, it was declared to be, well, you're against free speech. That's art. That's, so we, we live in this environment where there is a constant offense and there's a constant being offended, and we live in a culture of what's almost constant offendedness. Political correctness, uh, the language police, the thought police, this idea that we are always on the alert has, has borne some, uh, some real interesting effects. I was reading in the Huffington Post. Now, the Huffington Post, for those of you who don't read online too much, Huffington Post is, is not a friend to uh, conservatives out there at all. But it's interesting, uh, you would think that the Huffington Post would be a a staunch defender of political correctness, but here's what was written recently. Here's the question. How are we ever going to be able to live and work together comfortably if there is a whole herd of elephants in the room? If we can't talk about our feelings, if we can't talk about our fears, our aspirations, if we can't talk about our anxieties, our assumptions, our hopes, our worries, our dreams, and our concerns... How can we ever build trust with those who are different from us? If we can't talk about differences that puzzle us or things that we're curious about without fear of giving offense, then how will we ever overcome our ignorance about cultures, about races, or even the opposite sex? If we must constantly employ self-censorship and do so in any conversation pertaining to race, gender, religion, sexual orientation, physical ability, then we're doomed to perpetuate the very barriers we say we want to overcome. Very interesting that this would be uh, written about in in quite a a, a liberal publication when we tend to think, and again in our camps, we tend to think it's those liberals that want us to be politically correct. But but you see, there's, there's problems recognized all the way around. When I went off to chaplain school, um, I was given an assignment 
military chaplain school. You have to minister in a pluralistic environment, right? We have atheist troops, we have agnostic troops, we have Islamic troops, we have Jewish troops, we have Christian troops, we have Catholic troops, we have Hindu, Hindu troops, we have all different types. And chaplains, we have to be a chaplain for all. Uh, by the way, for those of you who are just kind of curious how that works, uh, we draw a distinction between perform and provide. I, I perform religious rites, services, uh, according to my faith. If I have a Roman Catholic troop dying on a battlefield, I don't administer last rites. The PCA, nor would the Roman Catholic Church be happy with that. Um, what do I do? I do pray with that troop. I, I do talk to that troop about e eternity and eternal life. I do give that troop access to a priest. I make sure that his or her right to religious expression or constitutional right is protected. That's the provide portion. I provide access to those things, but I'm never called upon to act contrary to my faith. So here's the assignment we were given. Ministering in a pluralistic environment, we were called, told to write an article on tolerance. Oh, go and write a paper on tolerance and turn it in for a grade. Now, this all came after lengthy discussion in class that pressed us into this idea that we are not to discuss the controversial issues. That we are not to discuss those things about which men and women differ lest we be intolerant. So now go and write a paper. <laughs> I did write a paper. I got a good grade on the paper. I had, a, I had a dear brother was actually the guy teaching the class and actually did the grading of the paper. Um, but I, I refused to write a paper on tolerance. And my premise was this. If we are looking to shoot at tolerance, we're aiming way low. I don't want to be tolerated. I want to be respected. And if I can function... And in a world where I am respected and I show basic human respect to somebody, even those who disagree with me, even in the most central of topic, the most central things, if I can impute to them that basic human value of all men and all women who are created in the image of God, I can listen to them, I can seek to understand them, and at the end of the day, I can even disagree with them without being disagreeable. Does that make sense? It's that idea that, that we can talk about. Matter of fact, we must talk about the difficult things. Otherwise, we draw up these barriers and we, we're just kind of worried about what kind of boogeyman is on the other side of the divide. What is it over there that, that I'm so scared of? And Christians, we ought not be scared of any of it. That we ought to be wanting to discuss it, wanting to understand. Because let me tell you this, if you have never sat down and listened to somebody who is an atheist, who is agnostic, you know the distinction between the two, atheist saying there is no God, agnostic being, I don't know. Agnostic meaning you can't know, agnosis, that you cannot have knowledge that there is a God, or they do not have knowledge there is a God. There's a distinction in those two, what I would call faith groups. And it takes a lot of faith to believe that all this exists and no God created it. But if you've never sat down and listened to somebody and given them the opportunity to articulate why they believe what they believe, then take that opportunity not seeking to argue with them, not waiting until they take a breath so you can jump in and rebuke what they just said, but to listen to them, to understand. James says, let a man be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to temper. For the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God, that we would not react, that we would not be offended. So here's what we're talking about tonight, this idea about taking offense being hurt, being too touchy, being too sensitive. 
Now, what it has become is it's become a very effective weapon in our culture today. This idea that you hurt my feelings. You offended me. You, you bruised me. It, it's real. And, and what happens? See, we, we, we too often seek to make ourselves to be peaches so that nobody would touch us because we might bruise. This, this is a weapon that gets wielded by a lot. And, and we think that, well, we just need to steer clear of those sensitive issues. But let's talk about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Very well known. It gets read at, at weddings. But at the time of the wedding, everybody's thinking about, oh, those bridesmaid dresses are horrible. They should, I don't like those flowers. You know, all the things that you think about at weddings. And then some friend of the bride, friend of the groom stands up and reads, love is patient, love is kind. And you go, yada, 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 right, okay, let's go to the reception. But let's give uh, occasion to really, really listen to what the Apostle Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 13. What's going on, by the way? We talked a little bit this morning about Paul as he wrote to the church at Corinth. He's writing about a lot of problems. It takes a few verses in the first chapter of Corinthians to tell the Corinthian church how much he thanks God for them. And then he begins to start talking about a lot of problems the Corinthian church is having. And 1 Corinthians 13 is right in the midst of his discussion about a very controversial subject. Anybody want to throw out what's going on? What's being discussed right there? One body, many parts. One body, many parts. But what 12 and 14 in particular, what is he... Hmm? Tongues and spiritual gifts, the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. And, and knowing that it was a controversial topic, and you think about this like Paul the pastor writing to a church that he did love. See, when he spoke up front in, in 1 Corinthians, I believe he's being fully sincere as we would expect an inspired man of God to be. He is saying, I do love you, but we're going to talk about some tough things. But I want you to know right off the bat, I love you. And you, and, and you know when a mom or a dad comes to a child and says, now you know I love you, right? <laughs> Something bad's coming. <laughs> Something bad's coming, but we're going to start with reminding you that I love you. And you know what? We're going to wrap it up with that too. But right there in the middle of him talking about this, this issue of great division, I can almost hear the apostle saying, hold on, let's stop for a second. Let's pause in the midst of this difficulty and listen to this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So what does Paul do in the midst of all this? He refocuses us and says, that we need to recognize that even when we differ, and he's talking to the church, and this is a squabble within the camp. These are Christians disagreeing with Christians, and Christians getting offended and upset with other Christians, and he regroups and he says, now, I need to remind you that above all these things, you need to manifest love, and what does love look like? He said, it looks like this. Now, who are we to love? Certainly those sitting on the pew next to you and around you in the same room, those who managed to find the correct side of the sanctuary to come sit on tonight. Certainly you are to love them. But, but what are we to, who are we to love? The summation of the, of the law, we're to love God. Absolutely right, I see that. We're to love God and you're to love your enemies. You're to love your neighbor, right? To love your neighbor as yourself. 
Who is my neighbor? Is what the lawyer asked Jesus. And asked, that's right, everybody. And the response to that Jesus actually said is, it's not so much as you should be looking to say, this is my neighbor and this is not my neighbor. It's I'm going to become a neighbor to each of them. And this is, this is where we, we begin to look and say, how do we minister love in the midst of a culture that both gives and takes offense so readily? Two things. It is a sin to deliberately give offense for the sake of being offensive. It is a sin to deliberately give offense for the sake of being offensive. Additionally, it is a sin to take offense when no offense is intended. Just to to be sensitive, to wear your heart on your sleeve, to bruise easily. Well, let's talk about that one. That's a little more controversial. I want to make sure that you hear that while you're good and awake. Sorry, did that offend? <laughs> it's a sin to be too touchy, to be that one that always, because there's, there's several things that are involved in that, but to always be the one that's going to get their feelings hurt, is going to be offended, is an indication of, of one of a couple of things, one of extreme spiritual immaturity, and also uh, an issue of selfishness and pride. Here's some verses here to, uh, to, to think about this. Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Wisdom would be another translation of good sense. Proverbs 17.14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. It's this idea that when, when others do something that they may have unintentionally or maybe even with a bit of intent uh, given some offense to you, that you would say, that is something that I can forgive and we can move on and it doesn't have to be an issue. Colossians 3.13 says that we should bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, that we should forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. It's important that we, as we read through Scripture, that we we see what Scripture has to say about the very real issues of life. Because we can all come to a service like this, we can all enter into discussions, and we can all address these things anecdotally. Now, you know what I mean by that, not antidotally. That that cures. That's That's a cure. That's a solution. Anecdotally is this. We all have examples of where political correctness, where offensiveness or somebody being easily offended, somebody being too sensitive, too touchy. We all have stories about how that is a reality. But you know what? That's not the solution. That doesn't bring a solution to the table. We can all commiserate from that. We can all say, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's my life too. Yeah, I understand. Oh, they shouldn't be that way. And we move on. But what we need to see is as we look at it in biblical terms, that there are biblical answers. Rather than just sitting there and looking for the world's interpretation of what's going on, is what does Scripture have to say? For there is nothing new under the sun. The same old sins. The sins are are summarized, right? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Simple. Now, they just happen to be wrapped and packaged in different forms and different clothes today. Same old sins. Same old problems, same old issues between Christians and Christians in the world. So what about being too touchy? How do we address that? There's a wonderful uh, course of study 
a wonderful book by the same name called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Uh, the Peacemaker is a, just a great discussion about how in that we have been, in Corinthian language, in that we have been reconciled to God, we've been given a ministry of reconciliation, that we would be about building peace bridges between us, that we, of all people, ought to be the ones that seek uh, to forgive trespasses, to forgive offenses, to, to let them be gone and to release them into the sea of our forgetfulness as God has done so to our sins and our offenses. Here's what, what Sandy writes about this idea, about us deliberately being not easily offended or not taking offense where none is given. Overlooking, he says. Overlooking is not a passive process. It's not a process in which you simply remain silent for the moment, but file the offense away for later use against somebody. It's not simply pretending it didn't happen, and it's not simply filing it away for later use. For that is actually a form of denial that can easily lead to brooding over the offense, building up bitterness and resentment, and it will eventually explode into anger. Instead, overlooking is an active process that is inspired by God's mercy through the gospel. To truly overlook an offense means to deliberately decide not to talk about it, not to dwell on it, or let it grow into pent-up bitterness. Hear that again. That we deliberately decide not to talk about it, not to dwell on it, or to let it grow into pent-up bitterness. That's where we, and we commit that in prayer before God. We say, God, I do not want this to be on my lips. I don't want this to be in my mind, and I don't want it to have that bitter, angry root in my heart. Now, he says, if you cannot let go of an offense in this way, if it's too serious to overlook, or if it continues as part of a pattern in the other person's life, then you need to go and talk to the other person and to do so in a loving and constructive manner. Does that make sense? It's that idea that, that we would not just be looking to be offended in a, in a, in a sitting back and, and just taking it and, and wearing that as a weapon and saying, you offended me. I don't know if we could ever. It, it's to constantly leave that as a barrier between you and somebody else. And it does build that bitterness. And it, and it, and it resurfaces again and again in uh, political, uh, not political, biblical, oh, so different. Biblical, <laughs> biblical counselors will refer to that as exhuming. It's that idea that you take some dead issue out of the grave and wave it in front of the other person and then put it back. It's that, that idea that, you know, that you recount something. It's just like what you did 20 years ago. I'm not going to say which wives and husbands, which one of y'all are the worst. So I think we, it's a tie. Uh, but that idea, I think, I think ladies just remember things better. Uh, and guys, guys, if we, guys, if we could remember it, we'd, we'd do the same thing. Um, but what Sandy is saying there is that we would actively overlook those minor trespasses about which we could so easily take offense. So when we talk about this idea about being offended, about overlooking transgressions, we need to think about the words that we're using. The Bible uses actually a couple of different words that get translated into English as offended or offense. Uh, we find uh, the idea of like a stumbling block, uh, a noun. Uh, we, we see this in Romans chapter 14. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8 is kind of a parallel passage, particularly when it talks about eating meat or drinking wine or doing anything else that might cause a weaker brother to fall. 
that stumbling block, the, uh, the Greek word there is proskoma, uh, which literally means that. It's something that you would trip over, um, a rock, uh, a, a stumble. Um, the word's offensive. I mean, it's, it's instructive uh, about what it means that sometimes we can do things that would just be an impediment to the people that we're dealing with. We also see another one that's a verb, uh, the idea of um, actually causing someone to stumble or fall. We see this in Matthew chapter 18. What's the context of Matthew chapter 18? Matthew chapter 18 is the, the chapter that we run to when we're dealing with what? Any help? Matthew chapter 18, that's, it's, it's the discipline chapter. Uh, that's where, um, where Jesus says, if, if someone sins against you, you go to that person. Right? You're talking about if, if, if somebody lies about me, slanders me, if somebody steals from me, I, I, I go to them. That's what we're called. This is something that I'm, I'm not going to overlook, something that will be an issue that we've got to make right. It's a pattern of behavior. It's something of great significance. I'm told to go to that person. And if that person says, eh, I don't think I did anything wrong, and I'm still concerned because of love for that person, I'm concerned for their soul. I'm concerned for their life. I'm concerned that if they continue this pattern of behavior, it's going to be destructive. I'm worried about them. It's the equivalent of my son playing in, in the middle of Cobb's Ford Road, right? Uh, we're out there playing, you know, playing ball in the middle of the road. That's a dangerous thing. And though you may be able to do it for several hours in the middle of the night and, and, and be safe, but morning's coming and the traffic will start and there's going to be, there, there's going to be problems. And, and we deal with sin in that way. We deal with that offense, that serious offense in that way. I go to them and in love say, let's talk this through and let's get to the truth. And the person doesn't listen. Then you bring somebody else with you so that by surrounding them with people that love them and desire to see them walking well with the Lord, that you might restore that person. That's the context of Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says this, If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. The word there is scandalizo. It's where we get scandalized from. It is something of significance. It really means, the verb form of it means to entice into sin or to cause a person to distrust or even desert one to whom he ought to trust and obey. It's that idea that we would deliberately be doing harm to somebody else. It'd be lying to somebody, misleading somebody, stealing from them, robbing them, doing things that, that when we think about, uh, I see with, with such anguish, pastors that, uh, that steal, the pastors that, that lie, pastors that seek to uh, build themselves up and take the glory away from God and do so in ways that impact and ruin congregations and, and harm the lives of Christians. That is what I see to be the epitome of scandalizo, to entice to sin or to cause a person uh, to distrust and even desert who they ought to love. These are the two different words that we see, and we need to make sure that we are not placing blocks in front of people, and we are certainly not deliberately scandalizing them. And we ought to be constantly examining our lives and saying, not only should I not look to be offended at every turn, but I need to be careful that I am not offending others. Now, the, uh, the idea of the stumbling block is, is used very regularly and when it comes to controversial behavior, behavior about which people may have different opinions. In the case of, of Paul, 
uh, as he wrote to Rome, as he, the Roman church, as he wrote to the Corinthian church, he was talking particularly about eating meat that, were, that was purchased in the temple markets of some of the pagan temples. They would slaughter an animal, and then they would have a meat market on the side where they would get a little bit of extra money to support that, that pagan temple, and many folks would go and buy their meat there. And some folks were saying, well, is it okay to buy meat that was sacrificed to idols? And they really have a problem with that. And, and what Paul was talking about is he's talking about dealing with weaker brothers, weaker brothers in that. And we need to make sure that we understand what the Bible is referring to in, in that case. It has to do with a weaker brother or sister, um, and not those, by the way, not those who just are offended because they disagree with you. A weaker brother is a Christian who can be influenced to sin against his conscience by the example of a differing strong brother because this brother is weak in his knowledge, his faith, his conscience, or his self-control. It'd be the idea that, uh, that this brother says, well, I, I still am troubled. I think that eating this meat might be a sin, but because I, I see Rex doing it, then... Uh, then, then I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I don't want him to think I'm weak. I don't, so, so what's happening there? I am going against my conscience because somebody else has said, well, I don't have a problem with that. That's a weaker brother, and we're to, to respect that and to understand that. Turn with me to Romans 14. Let's look at that in the full context because this is a passage that gets referenced a lot and misused a lot. Just as folks are flipping there, um, what might be an issue that somebody would run to Romans 14 about? Might be about voting one way or the other. What else? Uh, right. What else? Uh, uh, adult beverages for adults. Right. Uh, different. There's there's any number of things. Uh, in, in some circles, it was. Uh, I know when my mom was, was coming up, she would refer to the fact that in the church she went to, uh, that, oh, my goodness, you didn't wear pants, ladies, to church. Well, that, that was scandalous, right? Right? Uh, or it had to be a certain length. You know, she's talking about going to school, and, and, and ladies would have to kneel down to show that their, their skirt would touch the ground. That was an appropriate length. Or, or makeup, or hair length, or, you know, heaven forbid that people should dance. You know, these these are things about which Christians have had different opinions and often they run to Romans 14. And when somebody would raise that to me because, you know what, I like to dance. (laughs) My son does not like for me to dance (laughs) and it may give offense in so many ways, (laughs) but I, I like to do so. And uh, and 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 somebody were to raise that and say, and start quoting all the reasons why you shouldn't, uh, I don't believe that person is arguing from the position of a weaker brother or sister, just somebody with whom I disagree. And they disagree with me, and they have sought to, they have found that they will take offense to, to, by disagreeing with them. As opposed to somebody who might, I might say, oh, come on, dancing's fine, let's go dance. And they still believe that it's wrong, but they do it anyway. For that which is not done of faith is sin. You do understand that, right? The idea that if I believe something wrong, even uh, another, another example, uh, many ladies would be, and some of these are restrictions that were put on ladies, right? Uh, the idea of wearing makeup or wearing your hair down or all these things, right, uh, that, that culturally had, had been 
uh, been put out there. And, and for a lady to be told that uh, you can't wear makeup, wearing makeup's a sin. Is wearing makeup a sin? No. 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 I have to say that tonight because so many of you ladies look so pretty. But, uh, and some of you guys. You know, I'm not, it's, it's a new world. Now, but, that's it. Now, the, the reason I say that is, is this. Wearing makeup, we would say, is not a sin. Wearing pants to church is not a sin. But if you believe it is and do it anyway, you have sinned against God. Because what you have done is you have done what you believe to be wrong because you want to do it. Now, what's the solution to that is to be biblically informed, to go to the word, to see what is right, what God says is right, not what God says is wrong, not just what culture would say and different different schools of thought might say. Does that make sense? Is that, is that fair, a fair presentation? Of that? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 14 and see exactly what it says. It says, therefore, let us, this is beginning in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So he's talking about the meat, clean, unclean. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Okay, what we're just talking about. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. So suddenly the issue has not become the meat, but it's the person that I am spending time with. It is my concern for that person, and it is my desire for the stake greater than my desire that this person would be supported in serving the Lord. So let's go on. Uh, by what you eat... Uh, By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Uh, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So do you see verse 19 there is saying that what we strive for is not pressing our license to at the cost of everyone around us, not giving offense simply because we, we feel like we have the liberty to do so. But he goes on, he says, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Do you hear the Philippians 2 mindset coming out in that? Consider others as more important than yourselves. So we, we see these kind of things coming up in our discussions about, uh, I mean, you think about all the issues, particularly within a household of God. That we, we chose to put Thomas, when we moved to Savannah, that, that Thomas uh, went to school and graduated from a, a Christian school. Uh, we, we chose Savannah Christian Preparatory School for a multitude of reasons. We made that decision. And, and in doing so, as a pastor, you know, others are going to look at that and say, what, what you, you don't think homeschooling is a good option? I, I'm not saying it's not a good option. I'm saying we chose this option. Uh, are you saying that public schools are bad? I said, that's not necessarily implication by what I'm saying. It's, it's this idea that, that we have, we, we chose this. Why? Because this was best for our son, for our situation. 
And, and others would, would look at that and, and begin to, to take offense. And, and we need to, to make sure that we are deliberately considering others, that they would consider us and we would consider them. There's one, one final thought in the midst of all of this, and it's that idea that we should not be easily offended. We should not seek to give offense, but there is one caveat to the whole thing, and this is where we wrap it up, and it should come as no surprise that the gospel itself will offend. So we need to make sure that we understand that. R.C. Sproul says it this way. People are extremely sensitive about how they're approached on matters of religion. Many of us who are so excited about our faith in Christ, we want to share it with everyone we know. Oh, great place to be, by the way. We want to share Christ with everyone we know, everyone we love, and our intentions are good. But when we do it, so often we come across to these people as saying, in attitude, if not in our very words, I'm good and you're not. And people are turned off, offended, and rightly so. He goes on to say, someone once said that evangelism, true evangelism is this, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I recognize that my faith is a result of the grace of God. And so we must understand that when we're talking to people, we're called to be gracious, we're called to be kind. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, meekness, patience, love. Even though we are gracious, we are kind, we're patient, friendly, and sensitive to other people's dignities, we cannot remove altogether what the New Testament calls the offense of the gospel. The offense of the gospel is this, that we call people, as we said this morning, to repentance. And it is an offensive thing to tell somebody, you need to repent. We don't need to say it in an offensive way. And one of the ways that we can do that with grace and understanding is to listen before we speak. But people become threatened by that message. It's vital, though, that we do not add unnecessarily to that offense. We do not need to be seen as offensive people. But we also don't need to be seen as those who would soft-sell the gospel message because it might upset somebody. We don't need to be We don't need to deliberately do things that are going to hurt other people. But most importantly, we need to, in love, proclaim the fullness of the gospel. And and it will, at times, offend. And people will say all sorts of mean and ugly things about you. Praise God, right? (laughs) Yes, because Jesus himself said, a servant is not greater than his master. And as they cursed and crucified our Lord for what he said and did, so also, too, will we be found offensive. But may it not be because of what we've done, but by the truth of the gospel message. And praise God that that rock of offense would cause those who are walking in the wrong direction to stumble and to regroup and to follow Christ. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, for this evening. Father, we, we live in a time where on Facebook, on social media, on TV, on t-shirts and bumper stickers, we see things that upset us, that bother us, that, that stick with us. Lord, help us to not be touchy, easily offended people. Help us to be secure in what we believe, trusting in your goodness and your grace, even in the midst of a sinful and wicked world. Help us to be salt and light of that community. Help us to be first and foremost loving of those that we look around and see are as lost as a set of car keys. Lord, I pray that we would 
we would look upon them with compassion and with love and we would share the gospel by which they may be saved and that it would be clear that we do so because we love you, Lord God, and we do love them as ourselves. That we love our neighbor truly. May that be seen, Lord, and may our attitude and our actions not bring offense as we proclaim Christ fully. And where that gospel offends, Lord, We leave that to your spirit to soften hearts and to change lives. But Lord, use us and may we be kind, faithful, patient, loving, meek, and gentle. Father, thank you for your word and how it speaks to the real issues of our lives. And Father, we pray that you would dismiss us now with your blessing, that you would send us forth with your strength, that we would go forth to be salt and light to a world that needs to see and needs to savor how very delicious the gospel is. We praise you and we thank you. And we go forth in the strength of the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Good.